All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie, fixing my hair helper. <laughs> How are you doing this week, Katie? I'm okay. I think I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to recover from some trauma. Um, I was a bit triggered by a really important piece of writing, and we're going to get to of that. Adversarial journalism. Yeah, mittens of misogyny, right. misogynistic mittens, mittens of white privilege, subtle white privilege. Right. Um, but we have a lot to get to, including that wounding experience that you went through. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're going to touch upon some other themes. And we're going to talk to a, a very important person, a member of the United States Congress. And we're going to leave that a, a mystery for a now. A surprise, yeah. A surprise. Uh, and let's just get into it because we got a lot of stuff to get to, right? So. Yeah. And no one will know the surprise except for every single person who sees the YouTube link. And, exactly. And yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. Title. yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll be a, a confounding mystery yes. to you. If you're uh, illiterate, it will be. Right. That's right. Yeah. So just keep listening. Okay. So for four food groups, I guess we start with the Democrats suck, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to stretch the genre here a little bit because it's, this is not really a Democrat per se. It's just somebody who's probably of that ilk politically. And so there was a remarkable uh, editorial in the San trigger Francisco. Trigger warning, everyone. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Trigger tr warning. Tr trigger warning. I did a, I did a, a compilation this year on the wokest news stories for 2020. I, I'm pretty sure this is going to be on the list for 2021. Uh, so the, the headline in this uh, article in the San Francisco Chronicle was San Francisco high school students get a lesson in subtle white privilege. Yeah. And the, uh, the byline is uh, Ingrid Sayeroki. Bernie's mittens colon, a lesson for SF high school students in subtle white privilege. And then it has a photo of him. Very weird choice, I would say, for those of you who are listening to the podcast and not watching. Um, he's holding what's in his what's he holding? He's holding something Manila he's, folder, a it looks Manila like. folder, probably of who's the most sexist writer, probably some Jordan Peterson. Right. Uh, yes. I'm mm -hmm. sure uh, he's holding Manila folder or maybe has a sign that's like, I hate all of you women and people of color here, but I have to be here. One right. of those two things. Anyways, yeah. holding manila folder and he has one hand not in the mitten and then he's holding the mittens and has one of them on, which is just extra white privilege. And he's got he a little bit of a doctor, Dr. Evil thing. Yeah, he does. He, yes. Yeah. And he's a little hunched. He turtles as Joy Ann Reed's uh, body expert like tells us he does. One which is lying. million microaggressions. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we should dive into the text because yeah, the, the text is just the, the interesting thing is normally with an op-ed, you can pretty much guess where it's going from the headline. But when I saw um, when I saw the headline that basically it was about mittens, Bernie and white privilege, I, I, I really struggled actually to guess what the punchline was going to be. Well, then, um, Matt, that's because you have straight white male privilege and I'm blind. Right, yes, of course. Yes. So we'll, that, we'll, we'll put that out. Uh, clearly, I, I'm inadequate to analyze yeah. this properly, but let, I'll just read it out and then you you can take it from, from there. Sure. So so there's two p parts of this that are just, there's really only two p passages that really even address the issue in there. Uh, but one of them is in a, a line that... Um, that has one of the greatest uses of the word but that you'll see in an op-ed page. So uh, here, here's the paragraph. I mean in no way to overstate the parallels. Senator Sanders is no white supremacist insurrectionist, but he manifests privilege, white privilege, male privilege, and class privilege in ways that my students could see and feel. So that's yeah. a quadruple whammy right there. He, he, yeah. let, he, he, he was... He was uh, clocking all the privileges at once mm -hmm. there of course she's a bit transphobic because she doesn't mention cis privilege but we'll oh right go. yeah jesus we're gonna right, have yeah. to break this down in privilege yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 yeah. i think we have to read some of the beginning just to get what she's talking about okay um, you want to read the, I think, the, the yeah i just think that we'll have to do that to, to understand it um three weeks ago i processed the capital insurrection with my high school students rallying our inquiry skills we analyzed the images of that historic day images of white men storming through the Capitol, fearless and with no forces to stop them. This, I said, is white supremacy. This is white privilege. It can be hard to pinpoint, but when we see it, we know it. 
Across our Zoom screen, they affirm with nods, thumbs up, and emojis of anger and frustration. Fast forward two weeks as we analyzed images from the inauguration, asking again, what do we see? We saw diversity, creativity, and humanity, and a nation embracing all of this and more. On the day of the inauguration, Bernie Sanders was barely on our radar. The next day, he was everywhere. What do we see, I asked again. We've been studying diversity and discrimination in the United States. My students were ready. What did they see? They saw a white man in a puffy jacket and huge mittens. Distant, <laughs> not only in his social distancing, but in his demeanor and attire. We took in the meaning of the day, the vulnerability of democracy, the power of ritual traditions, <laughs> and the peaceful transition of power. We talked about gender and the possible meanings of the attire chosen by Vice President Kamala Harris, Dr. Jill Biden, the Biden grandchildren, Michelle Obama, Amanda Gorman, and others. We referenced the female warriors inspiring these women, like Madeleine Albright, the colors of their educational degrees and their monochromatic ensembles of pure power. I didn't uh, understand that passage at all. I don't know what she's neither. talking about. Yeah, and and then she says there should, there should be there should be a woke English English woke dictionary on Google Translate. Yeah, there should be. Yeah, yeah. We um, and there across all of our news and social media feeds was Bernie, Bernie memes, Bernie sweatshirts, endless love for Bernie. I puzzled and fumed as an individual <laughs> as I strove to be my best possible teacher. What did I see? What did I think my students should see? A wealthy, incredibly well-educated and privileged white man showing up for perhaps perhaps the most important ritual of the decade in a puffy jacket and huge mittens. And then, as you said, Matt, I mean, in no way to overstate the parallel. Senator Sanders is no white supremacist insurrectionist, but, but. he manifests privilege, <laughs> white privilege, male privilege and class privilege in ways that my students could see and feel. When we see privilege, you know it, I told them weeks before, yet... When they saw Senator Bernie Sanders manifesting privilege when seemingly no one else did, I struggle to explain that disparity. I am beyond puzzled as to why so many are loving the images of Bernie and his gloves. Sweet, yes, the gloves knit by an educator, so Bernie. Not so sweet, the blindness I see of so many, Bernie included, to the privileges of privileges Bernie represents. I don't know many poor or working class or female are struggling to be taken seriously folk who would show up at the inauguration of our 46th president dressed like Bernie, unless those same folk had privilege, which they don't. Okay, there is so much to unpack here and I wanna invite her on, but where, I mean, this is, sorry, this is yours, although you should probably- No, 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 go, go for it, go for it. There's, nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing I can do, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, one of my favorite things is she repeats her lines, puffy coat and, and what is fumed, it? I think she says a couple of times. She says puzzled, puzzled twice. That's what yeah. it is, puzzled. She's, she's, she's going for like the spoken word effect. Exactly. Which is, yeah, yeah. Right? Which is like, you know, you could maybe do that if there was something <gasps> poetic going on in the, in oh the text. God, Dan, but this is, this is like to, really, really can we shitty set to a drum beat? I agree. Can we set this to a drum beat later? <laughs> Here's what she repeats. White man in a puffy jacket and huge mittens. And then she also repeats, when you see privilege, you know it. Yeah, right. This is somebody who got upset because there were like Bernie memes on Twitter. I know. And th thought that was stealing thunder from something. Whereas in fact, it's both people picking on Bernie, laughing at Bernie, laughing with Bernie. Yeah. It was a completely harmless, funny thing. You know, they, yeah, I, I, and I, I just I think that I'll say this and not you and I'll get dragged for this. But there's some unresolved issues that these people have that, that they project onto Bernie. Um, well, of course. I mean, yeah. first of all, to talk about how he has class privilege, this, this is a guy who came from, uh, you know, a family that was, you know, slaughtered in the, in, class, in, yeah. in the Holocaust. They grew right. up in, in, in the, you know, very poor, very mean circumstances. And people always talk about his, what is he worth? $1.3 million. Yeah. And, and he has three houses. The guy is above seven years old. He's been a U.S. senator. Uh, it's hard to make less money than that in, in, in that's, in that situation. And, and there, the, the, the Democratic Party is so full of people who have maximized uh, completely all of their profit-making opportunities by being in office. I mean, think about think about San Francisco. Just you know, uh, between Pelosi and Feinstein, 
what are they worth? Two hundred million dollars. Wow. Uh, wow, Matt. I guess you're saying women shouldn't be paid. I guess you right. want Feinstein and Pelosi to govern from the home barefoot and pregnant. OK, let's go on to Bill Clinton then or, you I'm, know, Bob. I'm, I mean, Corker, obviously, yeah, I'm yeah, kidding. Yeah. But yeah, 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 of course, it's disgusting. And also, Bernie has money because he wrote a successful he wrote book. A book. Or two. Yeah. yeah. And then the I love when they say he has three homes, like as if not every single senator doesn't have two already. Right. He has they, everyone has two. They live in they have a place in D.C. and then where they're from and representing. And the third house he has is like a is a is a country home or whatever that they got by like, I think some they did something with Jane's parents inheritance. I mean, it's, it's almost absurd that we're even talking about this, but I do just like to go through how ridiculous it is. But also, what does he spend his time doing? Does he spend his time trying to lower tax, uh, lower taxes for the the group he's now in? No, he wants to raise taxes. He's actually advocating for the working class and those without privilege. And that is what kills me. Also, how much money does she make? How much money does he make as a, as a senator? Do you know? Just th think about how much money people in government make. You know, people in or who have recently left uh, government, you know, they're making tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars a pop doing speeches to big companies. Like, he doesn't do that stuff. You no. Know? So he's, he's sort of an example of how, how you, you can go through government and not make ass loads of money uh yeah even though you have the opportunity to do it anyway but that's that's sort of beside the point it it right this article is sort of symbolic of some other thing that's <laughs> that's going on in the national con consciousness which is just completely nuts a lot of it is sort of specific to the democratic party though with their first their hang-ups about bernie which are so right. weird why don't you if i were writing this i would be smart enough to say yes is it good that bernie sanders is fighting for Policies that disproportionately help women, people of color, those without privilege. Or or even just say, like, I find Bernie Sanders incredibly annoying and don't people have something better to meet? Like, if that's that's what she's actually thinking. Uh, you know, just say that. Right. Yeah. I but mean, that wouldn't uh, make a good op ed. Right. Yes, exactly. Wouldn't make a good op ed. Okay. What, what, one thing I did want to point out about this. So she's dragging Sanders for, I guess, dressing down, not dressing up enough. Yeah. You're, if he had dressed in a in you know a Savile Row suit, you know exact. We actually know what the headlines would be, uh, because we saw them with AOC. Like we, we've we've seen this exact phenomenon where yeah, as, as soon as somebody who you know identifies as a quote unquote socialist in any in any yes. way uh, dresses up, uh, then then you get the battering headlines right where uh, Dan. If we could see the tweet, there's yeah. one of of a. Uh, them going after her for having a $14,000 outfit on Vanity Fair or whatever it is. The reality is Bernie wouldn't know how to dress up if you if you gave him like six weeks to prepare. You know what I mean? Like that, like it's just not in his DNA. He doesn't he doesn't know how to. I think we right. So this is um, someone tweeted. I wonder what brand of socialism allows you to get a $14,000 suit for Vogue photo shoots. See you soon, Alexandria. Looking forward to diminishing your oh, sorry to dismantling your socialist agenda in my finest Macy's clothes like normal working people. Who's Lauren Boebert? Oh, she's she's running for Congress. So that's a right wing critique, obviously. But yes, the Dems, the, the same libs who are going after him now would probably say, oh, yeah, I guess you're guess you're not a socialist after all. And I got to mention that that green parka that he's had for years that people dragged him for. It's just so telling and interesting that that was a gift from his son who works for the company that made them. Right. Yeah. And, and also, I, I should just put I also think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this kind of totally insane the editorials that are going to make news by how nuts they are are going to be going to fashion. So, yeah, into fashion. So for, for Republican sucks, we're going to talk about how they really substantively suck with our with our guest. But um, top house Republican demands Saki apologize over, quote unquote, disgraceful Space Force quip. Um, and it shows Mike Rogers, uh, who is the top Republican on the House Armed Services Committee. And uh he has a pretty good hairpiece. I just want to give him a shout out. For Is that, that a hairpiece? Right? Don't you think? Oh, come on. Dan, where, Dan, are you going to back me up on this? Or it what? does have a hairpiece. It does have hairpiece. I thought for sure. Yeah, it's at a length that seems a little bit suspicious based on the overall non-receding hairline. Yeah, and the lack right. of clean, the, it, the clean lines and yeah. the, the hairs themselves look kind of a little too thick. 
the absence of a of of a of a uh, sideburn is also a little. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's all brown. I mean, I don't know how old he is, but anyway, viewers and listeners, please tweet at, a, at us using hashtag useful idiots pod and tell us if you think it's a, a, that, a wig. That's a good one. You could probably in a pinch, you could you could drink coconut soup out of that. Right. To turn it over. That's a good test you know? of it. Right. Yeah. yeah it would yeah. be a little messy because you'd have to balance it. But yeah, right. I think so. OK, so here's what happened. Ready? So uh, Saki was asked. So he wants her to immediately apologize. Uh, for a response to a Space Force question. Uh, It's concerning to see the Biden administration's press secretary blatantly diminish an entire branch of our military as the punchline of a joke, which I'm sure China would find funny. And the Space Force was passed with near unanimous support in Congress, the type of the same type of unity President Biden is supposedly working towards. Jen Psaki needs to immediately apologize to the men and women of the Space Force for this disgraceful comment and this because she this is because she was asked about the future of the space force uh during a press conference and she said wow space force it's the plane of today it's an interesting question i'm happy to check with our space force point of contact i'm not sure who that is i will find out and see if we have an update on that uh (laughs) i'll circle back with you circle back yeah and so that wasn't the only Republican with the courage to take on that disrespectful uh, response. Uh, Rep. Michael Waltz from, of course, Florida, uh, said this is just another example of the Biden administration not taking China seriously while demeaning the incredible work of Space Force personnel. To be fair, though, uh, he is a founding member of the House Space Force Caucus, so he's obviously biased. I mean, I, I do like the fact that uh, they they really see this as a a, China, a threat from China. Everybody's lying awake worrying about something that's going to happen to them. You know, it's some for some people it's it's just big huge mittens, and for other people it's Chinese in, in space. I guess. Oh my God, Chi- Chinese in space. That sounds like a history of the world. Remember, um, <laughs> Mel what Brooks. It, what it, yeah. yeah, Mel Brooks. He had Jews in space actually, which is very good. <laughs> Jews in space. That's right. And then Hitler on ice. Hitler and, on uh, ice. an Amish funeral. These were all the the <laughs> where and you see the Amish funeral. They not Amish. Sorry. Whoa. Viking funeral. I'm sorry. Viking funeral. That yeah, was my very Jewish different. privilege. Glumping every all non-Jews together. Yeah. They take off their helmets and they they have the horns on their heads. Right. The yes. Vikings. Yeah. Uh, Jen Saki's. I don't think. I don't think she's gonna make it. Like, yeah. She, she's gonna become a meme in like ten seconds. And well, people uh, seem to love her though. They do the Saki bombs hashtag and. You know, I really highly recommend her being asked about GameStop and pointing out that Janet Yellen is the first female treasury. treasurer. That was amazing. Fantastic. That's amazing. Great woke wash. Um, yeah. 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 It, it, oh, was, it yeah. was like inspired irrelevancy, which is what you want in your press secretary. Yeah. In order to be a really good press secretary with lasting qualities, you have to have no human, uh, like uh, observable human qualities. Uh, and your face has to be like a mask of death. You yeah. Know? To be fair, yeah. Ari Fleischer was very good at that. Very, right? very good at that. Yes. Yeah. And also all, most of Trump's they all right. look like sociopaths. Right. So we we, uh, we sort of switch places. Right. So I, I get uh, isn't that isn't that weird this yeah. week? So in the spirit of uh, a previous story that we did on the same theme, Dan, if we could see the um, the clip that I posted for isn't that weird with CNN's John Berman who is now continuing what looks like it's going to be a storied tradition. So I'm not I don't think we should be sort of uh, chippy about meeting with Republicans first, to tell you the truth. So you uh, are going to sit and listen to the Senate impeachment trial of the former president of the United States, who has been impeached for inciting the erection, uh, <laughs> inciting the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. We are- As well. Does she laugh at that? Yeah, yeah no, right. let, let's let's watch the face because she's pretty. Yeah, it, it, it's impressive, actually. Well, I, I was when I did this and I rewatched it, I was sort of accounting for the tape delay. But you can uh-huh. see the the heavy blink when it's the audio of his uh, slip delivered. up is, is right. yeah, his delivered when it arrives. Yeah, this is like yeah. this is like the fart gate analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's, you let's check it out. are going to sit and listen to the Senate impeachment trial of the former president of the United States who has been impeached for inciting the erection, uh, inciting the insurrection <laughs> at the U.S. Capitol. <laughs> It's that little head move, yeah. So this again obviously follows up the Chuck Schumer's inciting the erection. So w- w- one thing that w- that will happen with something like this 
is that it starts to like fly around the ether a little bit. And now people, anyone, anytime anyone says in, inciting the insurrection, they're going to, that word erection is going to be in there because right. of these news stories. We, so we got to get, we got to get the word out as much as possible yep. that this is a mistake that you could make if you're going to try to say the word insurrection. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You mean erection? I mean, sorry, insurrection. It, yeah, sorry. right. Exactly. Right. Don't don't think about it. Don't worry that you're going to say erection instead of insurrection. Right. Just, just try to avoid worrying about that. Right. And you'll and you'll be fine. Also, right. let's put it the other way around too. make sure you don't say, you know, you're taking medicine for insurrection dysfunction. <laughs> insurrectionile. Insur- if you have an insurrection that lasts longer than four hours, contact. Please kind of- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So are, should we go to, isn't that terrible? We should. And, and just make sure not to say erection. Okay. I won't. Yeah. So we have an impeding story here. Uh, if we could oh. just click on the link, Dan, and uh, which takes us to up rocks and takes us to a viral story apparently. And the headline is, well, here's the trailer for a movie starring Steve Nuchin's wife as a sex addicted hedge fund manager. This is the greatest thing ever. Just reading from this, uh, because we'll be feeling the surreal effects of Donald Trump's presidency for years to come, Louise Linton, the wife of Trump's former Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, just dropped a trailer for Me, You, Madness, a modern romantic comedy. Here's the the official synopsis, and then we're going to luckily watch the uh, the trailer. Me, You, Madness tells this deliciously wicked tale about a beautiful, ruthlessly ambitious, intelligent and successful businesswoman, Catherine Black plays by Louise Linton. She lives a life of luxury, having an architectural dream house in Malibu, exclusive designer fashions, fast cars, and exquisite jewelry. She has no need for a man except to satisfy her natural serial killer instinct, literally. When Tyler, at Westwick, a petty thief, responds to her online roommate ad, he thinks he struck gold. He has no idea that after a night of partying and passion, he is really just on her menu to be her next victim until real romance gets in the way. So could we could we play the trailer, Dan? And by the way, this 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 was sent to me by way of uh, an, an old old pal from uh, from Russia who is the lead singer of a band called Detsky Panadol. So I uh, just wanted to, to oh, say. Oh, really? You're getting yeah. your talking points and news from Russia, Matt? Wow. Well, yes, I'm I am. Yes, this is this from is, the this Russians. Is, this is this is this is from the Russians. Yeah, he's actually not Russian. He's he's, a, he's from Philly. OK. My name is Catherine Black. You may think that I'm a materialistic, narcissistic, self-absorbed misanthrope. I don't deny it. (laughs) I'm a hedge fund manager. I'm addicted to fashion, the accumulation of money, exercise, and sex. My life is incredible. Hi. I have an appointment about running a room. (laughs) Nice gigs. You got a plastic Mustang? Your list? Every single day. Wow, oh, that's acting. Soft spot for him. Who knew? I hadn't felt a soft spot for anything since I was six. You're very sexy. Don't get carried away. Keep your focus on the task at hand. How did I not see it coming? You thieving little twit. I think I'm going to disembowel this kid and kill him. <laughs> I think I really like this girl. The, the the dialogue was like so good. It's like it's like a from a porn movie, yeah. Basically, but worse. I'm here. I'm here about the room. And you know, obviously, that uh, Mnuchin founded. He's the CEO of Dune Entertainment, and so she had to take over when he became uh, Secretary of Treasury. Mm-hmm. I mean, this tells us a lot about a lot. It's almost like it. Like somebody watched American Psycho and just didn't get any of the jokes and right. decided to to make their own version, except minus the point. I don't know. <laughs> it's Do you it's know really that funny. Yeah, it, it is. It's a real uh, it's almost admirable. Yeah. So so that was the person who was uh, at the side of our Treasury secretary during the Trump years. Very funny stuff. I hope I hope the, that movie becomes a big hit. Yeah, we should do a we should do a double feature where we watch that and then the um, Colonel Sanders with Mario Lopez. Oh yes, that's a good one. that's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe we should take a bunch of edibles and do that. Do that. Yeah. If you're a business owner, you don't need us to tell you that running a business is tough. 
but you might be making it harder on yourself than necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash useful. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash useful. netsuite.com slash useful. Uh, all right. So we have a couple of things we wanted to uh, just quickly go over before we uh, talk to our mystery guest. But uh, obviously in the wake of GameStop, the whole brouhaha on, on Wall Street, and the, which is ongoing, by the way, uh, and continues to be a crazy story. Um, we heard from some of the, the country's leading uh, commentators, uh, including uh, old friend Tom Friedman. Friend of the show. Friend of, friend of show Tom Friedman, uh, who was interviewed by Andrew Ross Sorkin, another friend of show. And uh, they had this exchange, which I think is, if, you're, if anybody who knows Thomas Friedman knows that the, the man is famous for his metaphors, uh, he has like a unique ability to to make images that don't agree with one another or don't make sense. Right. Uh, like one of them being, you know, his rule of holes. You know, when you're in three holes, stop digging. You can't be in three holes. But here is here is Tom Friedman's metaphorical analysis of GameStop, which I thought we should we should spend just a few minutes on. Welcome back to Squawk Box this morning. The Reddit rebellion of high-flying stocks putting a squeeze on traditional capitalism. And joining us right now for a look at the challenges ahead, New York Times foreign affairs columnist Tom Friedman. His latest column, Made in the USA, Socialism for the Rich, Capitalism for the Rest. And your column speaks to what we've seen happen in the markets this week and what this Reddit army, in fact, believes in what they're, they're fighting against. Well, you know, Andrew, I see the whole thing is like I'm watching a giant um, National Geographic nature film. This is how I would actually explain it to a young person who's trying to understand what happened. I mean, like a like a five year old. Um, first, there were these people um, called lions. They're long sellers. <laughs> these people called and lions. They, um, uh, you know, they noticed a wildebeest that um, seemed to be uh, hobbling. It was called GME stock and they ate it. Um, uh, this stock was $163, went down to four. Then along came the hyenas. They're called short sellers. And they fed off the carcass of uh, GME. And these hyenas, they're magical hyenas, they actually made the carcass grow 50% larger than it really was. <laughs> so accessible. Short right? It simplifies it. A whole new group. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they uh, were vultures who ate the hyenas, basically. <laughs> and um, uh, the really smart vultures ate and flew away when the stock was $500. Uh, the dumb ones are going to stick around and keep eating. And in the end, the lions will come along and eat them, and the stock will eventually go back to 4 or $5. It's the circle of life, Akuna Matata. Akuna <laughs> Matata, baby. <laughs> Do you think he, how many times do you think he wrote that? Like, how many times did he look that over, do you think? So there's like 19, 19 things wrong, like, that are crazy about this, but we'll just go over a few. Uh, I just like realized he's, it makes, if you were stoned, doesn't this make a lot of sense? This it does, could be it our makes a lot of moment. sense if you're, we should if totally you're stoned. totally read it later, stone, I mean, as if we're stoned, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're high, you just simplified the matter incredibly. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, he starts out, the, there were these people called lions, you know, Okay. They're, Auspicious start always. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe just say there were these lions. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like don't confuse people with that. Uh, and then he, he says that the lions are the long sellers and they, they eat, they eat the stock, they eat the wildebeest uh, and the wildebeest decline in value. But first of all, why are wildebeest declining in value? Like if you're going to make the wildebeest into a stock, don't, don't make them wildebeest. Just, Talk about stock, you know what I mean? Like he's, well, he's, yeah, but he's trying to explain it. 
Right, but so you should be able to explain it. it without without having to put it in numerical terms. Anyway. Uh, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Right, right. You see okay, what I'm saying? It. Like you say, oh, they, they ate the wildebeest and the wildebeest are gone or whatever it was, right? You know right, what I'm saying? They, yes. they went from 63 to 4. Like, wildebeest yeah, right. don't go. <laughs> they don't play the stock market. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then he, then he goes down and the 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 long sellers who have now magically made the, the stock go from 63 to 4 which I think by which I think he means that there were people who bet the stock up to 63 and then it went down. These people uh, but, called lions, you mean? Yeah, these people called lions, but whatever. Then they're eaten by these magical hyenas who, how do you eat something and make it increase 50% in size? Oh, well, actually, you that's like with popcorn. If you <laughs> eat popcorn and drink soda, it may, it expands. I see. So he needs I to see. add that. So what is it? So it's the, a the, lion the, that eats. No, a hyena. What is it? A magical it's hy- hyena? It's hy- hyenas are eating the wildebeest carcass. They should just drink some some Seven Up. Yeah, exactly. They're actually they're eating the wildebeest carcass that has been turned into popcorn. He he's talks about how the the, the vultures come in and and they eat the hyenas. Like he kind of left out like how did the hyenas die or like were they you know vultures obviously usually carry on. Right. So were these dead hyenas? Were these alive hyenas? I don't know. Well, they so, are like, magic, it's a very right? minor, minor magic, thing. So, yeah. The hyenas were magic. Right. So they could be dead. They could be alive. They could be, you know, in this in this uh, sweet spot of not mortal and mortal. Right. OK. So then again, he uh, he has the the vultures, the smart vultures. And remember, he's trying to simplify yeah, the story by by making it about animals, but then he has he's talking about animals who are buying at five hundred. So he's just talking about stocks again. So the the smart vultures eat the hyenas, which are actually stock that are worth five hundred. Right, uh, and then they fly away, and the ones that are remaining are eaten by the lions, who remember are supposed to be the long sellers. Uh, except that they're eating at five hundred, and they're gonna they're gonna I guess digest at four. Uh, so that rather he, I think what he actually means is short, but it's, it's just complicated. Uh, how old are your kids, Matt? Uh, seven, five and, uh, three. Okay. So what I think we should do by next week is you should, um, you should show them this and And see see they get it, which, well, of course they'll get it. The only question is which age drops off. Because I'm predicting the seven-year-old. What is it? Seven and what? Seven, five, and three. I think the seven and five-year-olds are going to get it. The three maybe won't. And that mm. is, and if they don't get it, you're going to have to get them tested. Right, right. Yeah. Well, because it's also so clear. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. Everyone film your kids uh, responding to this. I want a split screen or send it to us. We'll do a split screen. I feel bad for Tom because he, you know, obviously made fun of him a lot over the years, and I kind of swore that I wouldn't. But then he went ahead and did something like this. Then he did this. It's just, it's just too funny. Like I'm sure I'm missing a whole lot. And if there are people out there in the show who want to point out some other things about how not to do an, uh, you know, a metaphor or an analogy, but, uh, but this this one was amazing. You know, because remember they're trying to make this simpler. Uh, I mean, and, how could I not remember? It was very simple for me. I found it very accessible. Very, very, very strange. Yeah. So that, 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 that was a classic, I thought. I think we had to at least t- touch on that. If you were doing your famous vampires, what did what was your uh, Goldman Sachs? Uh, uh, a great vampire squid wrapped around the face of humanity. Yeah. OK, so that how would you have done that Thomas Friedman style? Oh, my God. Yeah, that would be tough. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to think about that because... Vampire squid is a pretty obscure animal to begin with. First of all, you'd have to use... The thing is, I actually did do a little bit of a Friedmanism in that because vampire squids don't have blood funnels. I used to mention a blood funnel in it later on. Oh, that's okay. Uh, that's, and that actually was the part of the reason that it almost didn't make it into print because the fact checkers didn't let that's it through. So didn't want to let it through. So I was trying to say that that's part of the joke is that it's nonsensical, the image. But um, um, right, I see. yeah, but if you were doing it Friedman style, you'd have to do it something like a great vampire squid uh, hoofing it up to, you know, the surface or something like that. Hoofing right? it up you'd to have, the surface and chart and what? What did what's the and stealing? Uh, relentlessly uh, jamming its blood funnel. Yeah. And, and you know, digging its talons in, into the carcass 
of America or something like that. Yeah, but right? you'd That's, have to put in a, tra- a financial transaction. Right. Yeah, he would be eating a fish, which is actually a bunch of dollars that would decline right. in value. Yeah, that's what. Now you got it. Now you yeah. got it, Matt. Now you're making it simple. Now you're making it. Make the great sense. vampire squid dug its talons into a fish, which is actually a, a sum of money. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So know, you can would... you can you rewrite that for next week? I will. I'll do that. I'll, right. I'll, I'll take it on as an assignment. Yeah. But it's good stuff. Uh, anything else we want to get to quick Let's before? See. Um, oh well, you want to do a quick review of Mandalorian. Sure. Can you just explain this segment for people who may not, uh, who may be joining us recently and don't know about this segment? Yeah, we, we've decided to kind of get in on the whole um, reviewing of uh, popular television shows. Except, you know, the the twist with us is that we're not actually going to know what we're talking about because we we didn't watch them. Right. So these are re- reviews of shows we, we we have not watched yet. Right. So The Mandalorian, of course, is a uh, an American space western television series created by John Favreau. Uh, for the streaming service Disney. Uh, And it is the first live action series in the Star Wars franchise. And just so you know, the cast includes Pedro Pascal, Rosario Dawson, Mark Hamill. So I liked it because I like Rosario Dawson, even though she's dating uh, Cory Booker. Um, I thought that the Mandalorian character was adorable. I didn't like, though, that it was... um, and I think ultimately it infantilized Yoda, like literally infantilized him. And I didn't like the love interest. He can't have a love interest at that age. So I didn't like that he was dating Rosario Dawson's character. It, he's dating Rosario Dawson? Yeah, in, in the, the show. show. I'm pretty sure. I okay. mean, she's in it. Why, she should be a love interest. I'm assuming she is. So for I mean, basically, baby Yoda. for baby Yoda, yeah. I think that's not suitable for children. Exactly. So this is here's what I would say about Mandalorian. It's a great art house film, kind of like Harold and Maude. Remember that movie? So great, which is about a much older woman, a younger man. But that's not okay for kids. Yeah, that's not what we should be showing is Rosario Dawson having sex with baby Yoda. (laughs) I mean, you and I might find that interesting. Yeah, but it's not appropriate for kids. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we should probably start a letter writing campaign based on this. Um, Right. Yes, we're offended. We're offended. And Tra- anyone who tries, we're traumatized, we're triggered. Anyone who tries to correct us will say are normalizing abuse. That's right. Plus, the scenes were so graphic, too. They were was- so <laughs> graphic. <laughs> it was so unnecessary. It was so right? unnecessary, yeah. They, they could have just implied a lot of it. I mean, this the, the scene just went on for way too long, just over and, over and over and over and over again. Like, we get it. You know, once we you show that image it. once, you don't have to show it over and over again. We don't like the show, right? Well, no, Matt, that's not fair. I think what makes the show and why it's so important to talk about it is that we do like it. It's very compelling. And what really is, is problematic is that I actually think that the... They present those sex scenes between Rosario Dawson and Yoda as love scenes. And I think it's really dangerous because it kind of distracts from the this is inter. I mean, it's it's an it's age inappropriate. I mean, guys, the guy is called Baby Yoda. What else do you need to know? How can you film those sex scenes with a baby Yoda? How? How? Everybody who is involved is complicit. All right. Today's guest is none other than uh, Representative Ro Khanna, who represents California's 17th District. He was also the uh, one of the chairs of the Bernie Sanders for President campaign. And he's just a, a great guy, return uh, offender, return guest. And what I really like about Ro, hashtag what I really like about Ro, is uh, his foreign policy stuff. What do you really like about Ro, Matt? That and his domestic policy as well. His frankness. His oh, frankness. Well. Yes. And uh, good on, on civil liberties. Oh, that too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And as it's not a coincidence that we're going to talk to him about some of those issues right now. So let's, let's right. get to that conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, we always love talking to you. Could you just start off by telling us what is happening right now in Congress um, and where uh, everything stands in terms of the, the COVID relief or lack thereof? Sure, Kenny. We just had a call this morning with the caucus with uh, President Biden uh, talking about uh, putting the COVID relief bill through uh, the House and the Senate. Uh, This week, today, actually, we're going to vote on reconciliation uh, to give uh, the House and the Senate the authority to do 
the package through reconciliation. Uh, my view is uh, we have to stand firm on uh, the $1.9 trillion and uh, get that passed uh, through the House or the Senate. If Republicans want to vote for it, great. Uh, if they don't, this is what we need for the country and we should do it. And can you just explain how that could work, uh, how the Democrats could uh, get that through without Republican support? Well, they could get it through with the reconciliation process. I expect uh, that it will be there will be 50 uh, senators who will vote for reconciliation. Senator Manchin has said he will vote for reconciliation. Uh, I expect it'll pass the House today. Uh, and so under reconciliation, you can pass uh, anything on 50 plus uh, uh, 50 votes and uh, even a minimum wage. You know, I, I personally think minimum wage should come under reconciliation, which is anything to do with spending or taxes. You can argue that a $15 minimum wage would increase pay people's wages, so increase the tax revenue that the government can collect. Uh, but even if you don't buy that argument, you could certainly get there by saying there should be a tax penalty on any employer who doesn't pay $15. So there are multiple ways uh, to structure this bill uh, that will pass muster with reconciliation. And and that's what we ought to be working on. I've seen some news stories suggesting that the in the final version, there might be some sort of a, a limit on who, who, who can receive this. Like they might grade out at $75,000 or $100,000 for a couple. Like where, where does that stand right now? Is, is uh, Will there be any, any form of, uh, you know? Means testing? Means testing. Well, it's already means tested. I mean, it doesn't go to people who make over 250 or 300,000. I, I don't think that we ought to further uh, restrict uh, the uh, incomes. I mean, where some people have floated this idea that people making over 50,000 shouldn't get it or couples making over 100,000. Uh, many of those are working class, middle class. Their con- spending has taken a hit. They're, they've had hardship where they've had to juggle looking after kids and uh, working. And so I've had reduction in hours. Uh, so this should be a broad based package that helps uh, working class and middle class families uh, across the country. That's uh, what we campaigned on, what we promised, and what we need to deliver. Congressman, a couple of weeks ago, you, you signed a letter that I thought was really, really interesting um, that was basically warning against uh, starting off a new uh, war on terror or domestic war on terror. Uh, could you could you talk a little bit about your thought process in signing that letter and what you were a concerned about and what you're, you're still seeing going forward that, that might be concerning? Sure. Well, uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, led that letter and uh, has really advocated for civil liberties. I'm, my career started in politics. Uh, I got killed in my first campaign, but I ran for two reasons. The uh, war in Iraq, I was opposed to it, and the Patriot Act. I saw firsthand back in 2004 how that act was used to actually racially profile back then uh, many uh, brown Americans, brown male Americans. I mean, the amount of times I had to go, go through advanced screening and uh, airport securities is innumerable. But I had people who I knew uh, who were American citizens who were told to uh, go back to the country they belong to. And, and I saw the expansive powers uh, of the state that the Patriot Act had granted. Uh, it was an overreaction uh, to a very calamitous, tragic, uh, serious event of 9-11. So uh, no one is diminishing uh, the uh, awful attack of 9-11. But what we're saying is we have to have a response that's consistent with our constitutional values. Otherwise, we uh, are giving in to uh, the very uh, goals of terrorism was to disrupt liberal democracy. The same thing with the Capitol uh, uh, riots, the mob that attacked the Capitol, very, very problematic. We ought to use all the law enforcement tools uh, to get after the perpetrators, but we shouldn't be expanding the surveillance state. We shouldn't be expanding uh, the powers of government to suppress dissent and speech uh, in a way that could be abused. Right. It could. I mean, it's all these things could be enforced, right, to go after the people who participated without creating new laws. Exactly. Because what you don't want to do is have new laws that then uh, aren't just going after uh, the uh, insurrectionists or mobs, but are actually having a chilling effect on uh, protest movements against uh, police violence or protest movements for climate change are used in the wrong hands uh, for suppressing uh, dissent, for suppressing uh, counter speech, uh, so uh, or, or used to profile. Uh, so my my concern is that I, I think it's uh, important for progressives to be consistent, uh, and we have to protect the civil liberties of 
all Americans, uh, regardless of uh, uh, their race or, or the cause that they're they're advocating, uh, but enforce the laws that actually go after violence. And there's a lot of those laws on the books that are sufficient to hold those who engaged in the mob uh, insurrection accountable. Can you talk about your experience um, on January 6th? Sure. I was uh, fortunate. I, I was in the Cannon Building, which is my office where I'm currently am, and uh, we had to evacuate because there was this bomb threat. We now know that that bomb threat was a purposeful distraction so that the police would focus on that and leave the Capitol. I evacuated and I started actually, I went to the, ha the cafeteria in Longworth and then I was going to go to the Capitol and I had people on my team, uh, 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 Jules, uh, our, our press person and Emma and Pete, uh, actually texting me frantically saying, don't go into the Capitol. It's been overrun. Go back to your office. Uh, and I was in communication with them and it was unclear whether they had cleared the cannon building or there was still a threat. We thought it was clear. And in any case, it was much better than going anywhere else. And so I went into my office, locked the door and then stayed there till, till late at night. Uh, so I didn't fear for my safety when I was in the office, but certainly the members of Congress who were in the Capitol, what a harrowing experience. Were you in touch with them? Were you texting them or? Some of them. I mean, some of them I was texting, but some of them I, I was we were so cautious. We didn't know, you know, I didn't want right. to disturb someone or who knows right. where they were. I did have some people texting me, more more staff who said, can I come to your office? And I said, absolutely. And, and unfortunately, no one no one was hurt who texted me, but they didn't make it to my office because they were concerned of being in the hallways and, and the risk. Uh, but uh, it, it was definitely uh, a traumatic experience in this, in this country that, that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Did you interact with any of the rioters at any point during that day? I did not. I saw them from my window and then they told us to move away from the windows. But I uh, I did not, uh, fortunately, did not uh, uh, interact with them. The, the letter that you sent, I'm sorry to go back to this. It's just it's really interesting to me. The the One of the things that um, I think a lot of people are saying is, oh, well, we need expanded power and we need to go at speci we need specifically to go after uh, these sort of conservative right wing uh, people, but I th one of the things that your uh, points that your letter raises is that uh, these powers always end up being used in all directions, uh, and it cites as an example the um, the FBI's assessment authority uh, being used against uh, Black Lives Matter. I thought that was an interesting example. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and what what that is, and so people understand how these uh, these powers can be expanded? Sure. I mean, in the history in this country is that the tools of law enforcement have often been used. Uh, against black and brown people more than uh, they have been used uh, uh, to, to enforce against right-wing uh, terrorist groups and so uh, right-wing uh, extremist groups. And so my concern and those who signed that letter is uh, that you don't want to give broad powers to the FBI to engage in assessments and searches, uh, uh, internet searches and more broadly searches of individuals without uh, court-ordered warrants and without uh, court order, ordered of, uh, authority uh, because that a power uh, could be abused. And by the way, it shouldn't be abused even when you're dealing with uh, extreme right wing groups. I mean, that, that there's a reason we have a nation of laws and we have civil liberties. Uh, and I'm confident that within our framework, we should be able to solve this. I mean, one people, you know, first of all, we do need reform on social media. But the reality is it's not like these people were hidden. I mean, any they probably need to hire some folks in you know, high school or college to go understand social media and half of the folks confessed on Parler or Facebook. So why don't you beef up sort of social media uh, 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 observation, which is in the public square, figure out what you can do without invading uh, people's civil liberties. Can you talk more about that, um, about how to to balance kind of uh, safety with uh, content moderation and, uh, of course, like big tech? Yes. Well, first of all, big tech uh, and, and these social media companies, I think, are absolutely to blame for uh, what happened. And, and, and the reason they're to blame is that it's not just that they provide a platform for speech. They have actively recommended uh, certain types of speech based on construction of uh, social media profiles. So if someone has a certain profile, they're feeding them information about QAnon, they're feeding them information about some of these groups, and they're recommending that content. That is, in my view, a fundamental violation of 
uh, individual human autonomy, of our ability to have independent thinking when you have uh, go online and you're fearful that the, you're being manipulated. Uh, and so the first thing we need to do is, uh, and this was the Internet Bill of Rights that Tim Berners-Lee, who founded the World Wide Web and I had introduced or worked on two years ago, is to have uh, opt-in consent for any use of data and the ability to determine what type of algorithms are going to uh, use that data. And until we have that, I think the social media platform, the digital platform is a platform of, uh, which is subject to manipulation. The second thing is, the, believe it or not, the law currently, if you engage in speech that incites violence, that is unlawful under Brandenburg, social media doesn't need to take it, take it down, even if there's a court order that says that speech is illegal. We need to reform Section 230 to say, if there's illegal speech found by a court order, that speech doesn't belong on social media. Right. And there, there's a difference between permitting speech and promoting it. Right. Which is the issue with it's a good Facebook. Yeah. I stole yeah. it from um, Zephyr Teachout. <laughs> my show. Yeah. But it is a good line. Yeah, yeah. She's, br she's brilliant. I mean, you're, yeah. you're very, very uh, insightful yourself. Okay. But that, that's a good line. It's exactly right. I mean, they, uh, Facebook is actively promoting speech and it's not just promoting speech. It's promoting speech based, based on uh, a manipulation of individual data. And, and you look at one of the big concerns of modern democracy, and it's that people are suspicious, right? There's a suspicion of the truth, which led to this uh, epistemic crisis where 30, 40% of the country doesn't even believe the election results. And partly it's, well, everyone is corrupt and they're all in it for their own uh, self-interest. And so we're going to deny uh, the possibility of any consensus on truth. Well, you social media is amplifying that in a huge way by making us so suspicious that we can't even have a conversation, but what is the platform doing to manipulate us in subtle ways? And so it's further uh, eroding trust in the public sphere. And this is deeply problematic for our democracy. So Shana Zuboff had a, uh, a brilliant piece. I don't agree with all of the conclusions, but a brilliant piece in the New York Times and, and her book on surveillance capitalism that goes into why this is such a problem. But the, the idea of giving consumers an opt out it also that the advantage of that is, is also that it's not like a top down solution. It's like empowering the consumer rather than forcing some kind of a template on uh, on the experience as well. Right. I, exactly, man. And I, I, I don't think we should give Zuckerberg and Dorsey the power to decide what is truth and the part power to to arbit, arbit, be an arbiter. The, the other interesting paper that I'd seen, it's a, a two professors, not, not my idea, but they did this study and they found that when you crowdsource news sources, turns out Republicans and Democrats actually have a fair amount of consensus on what they consider credible sources. Uh, and so there are tools like crowdsourcing, like opt-in consent. They're not perfect, but they can give people more agency uh, and control over their online experience. You you called for an investigation into Robin Hood's decision uh, recently to uh, restrict trading into stocks like GameStop and um, and some others. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what what your concerns were there uh, and what uh, and you also mentioned the the need for a financial transactions tax? Uh, how would that apply in this story? Well, what happened is actually, in my view, pretty simple. I mean, the Robin Hood CEO is out there obfuscating the facts, uh, but. Basically, the, the stock got hot and they didn't have the money to cover the collateral that they needed for buyers to continue to trade on it. Well, why didn't they disclose to all their investors that uh, if a stock gets hot, their, their capital is going to run out and they can only cover trades up to X amount? They never had that disclosure. There's been no capital requirements on them. Uh, and so the, the CEO is out there saying it wasn't a liquidity event, but he's parsing words because it would have been a liquidity event. Uh, if they had actually continued with trading. So what we need to do is first have much more disclosure, better disclosure laws on platforms like Robinhood, where they're being honest with investors. And so they have the capital reserves. So you don't have this asymmetry where the hedge funds can trade because they're more capitalized, but retail investors can't because online trading platforms don't have the capital reserves. The financial transaction tax, which just shows I mean, we had so much speculative bubble uh, with the hedge funds and that not just in this case, but in general, that if you had a small financial transaction tax and you put that money towards building things in education and healthcare, uh, it's a more productive use, in my view, of our uh, dollars than just having the over-financialization of the economy where you have all of this money with hedge funds uh, going into betting 
that isn't necessarily increasing our productivity, which is not just my opinion, it's a fact. I mean, productivity in this country has not increased uh, nearly the, the, the rate it should have. And part of that, I think, is the over-financialization of the economy. How do you interpret what GameStop was all about? I mean, I've talked to some of the investors uh, who were involved, and a lot of people talk about frustrations with you know, the idea of the modern financialized American economy and the after the bailouts of 2008 and, and again last year, they feel like it's already all gambling is a phrase you hear all the time that the, there, there are the market is already detached from reality and they feel like it's just their turn this time. Like they're, they're going to do the same thing to these hedge funds that the hedge funds have been doing to the rest of the country. Do you see it as a political statement or is it or is it something else? Is it, is it just people being uh, opportunistic, take advantage of a situation? Well, Matt, like anything else, it's probably complex. There are probably some people who are really wanting to stick it to the hedge fund and make a political statement. There are probably some hedge funds on the other side who are Redditors <laughs> and who are getting in on the action. And then there's some people, people I know, I, one, one person I know put in 50000 and was worth a million dollars. And, you know, he's not someone who makes a, a lot of money. And so there are some people, ordinary people, who have the opportunity to say, this is our chance to, 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 to make money. What I would say we should take away from all of this is let's make the rules as fair as possible so retail investors aren't at a disadvantage to institutional investors. But second, let's take a step back and remember that 50 percent, 50 percent of Americans aren't in the stock market. It was interesting to me, all of the uh, the the advocacy I did for retail investors and Reddit uh, that on Twitter, it actually did really, really had resonance and people were retweeting it and talking about it and the media was talking about it. It didn't actually on, on Facebook where one of the differences of Facebook audience can tends to be older and actually many, many more voters. And it just is a reminder that a lot of the country is not in the stock market and they certainly don't trade every day. And what are we doing in terms of their lives, their economics? Uh, so, yes, we need fairer rules, but but let's not think that this is a magical solution uh, for wage stagnation or the lack of good jobs. Well, I, I mean, Matt, I, I'm kind of surprised that you asked uh, the congressman about that because we just talked about Thomas Friedman's excellent um, uh, analogy. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard about this, Representative Khanna, but uh, he compared them to lions, uh, vultures and hyenas, and then uh, ended his rant with uh, Akuna Matata, the circle of life, baby. <laughs> For the so, Lion King. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, right, yeah. I, I will have to, 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 to read it. And uh, certainly the, the vulture capitalism, I mean, with the hedge funds where you have people short a stock, then come on uh, podcasts or shows like yours and say, oh, this stock should be, is doing terribly sell. I mean, it's maybe not technically manipulation, but strikes me as pretty manipulative. And that's what's been going on for, for years. Well, I mean, th th there's a lot of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a standard part of the programming on a lot of financial TV. You have somebody on a hedge fund who comes on and says, oh, the bottom's about to fall out of this market. And then, you know, they're probably short something or other. Uh, it goes down and then they say, oh, it's time for the recovery. Uh, so they're calling the top and the bottom of the market. And, you know, to, to ordinary retail investors, that looks like pure manipul manipulation, uh, yeah. doesn't it? You know? I, I completely agree, man. And, and Disclosure and transparency doesn't solve everything, but in this case, I think it would solve a lot. I mean, one thing should be that if you are actually invested in a stock, you should be forced to disclose it. So if you go on TV or if you're on the Internet and you're advocating buying or selling or making a comment, it should be a disclaimer that you're invested and have a financial stake in that stock. Right. So I, I wanted to ask you about um, appearing on the, the criticism you've gotten for appearing on Fox News and for I mean, you wrote an op ed uh, for The Daily Caller. And both of these are, are are chances for you to basically like on Fox News, you talked about the Pentagon's bloated budget. Um, and for The Daily Caller, it was about, you know, bringing welcoming back the troops, not delaying their return. And I was wondering if you have are given the opportunity or the invitation by places like MSNBC or The New York Times, for instance, to talk about or write about these issues about war. 
Well, Gary, I, I, I mean, I have had the chance to talk about them in, uh, in, in, on MSNBC. The New York Times is just hard to talk about any, anything. It's uh, hard to get, get right. any op-ed pub- published. But, uh, but, but I think the broader point is this. So do, do I think uh, in a perfect democracy, in a good democracy, that we would have a public sphere where everyone had equality and listened to each other's opinions and racism and sexism didn't have any place uh, and that would be an ideal democracy? Absolutely. We don't have that. So then the question is, okay, we don't have a perfect public sphere uh, for deliberation and discussion. Do we just uh, not go on forums uh, that reach millions of Americans? Or do we recognize that these are imperfect forums, but that we have to participate to try to build as big a coalition? And people of goodwill can disagree. And I personally respect Mehdi Hassan. He says, well, no, you need to boycott any forums that have uh, explicit misogyny and and racism. Uh, My view of it is that as long as I'm not compromising my values, I should go on uh, reasonably as many of these forums to try to reach as many people as possible. Yeah. And I also think that if you care about misogyny and racism, you want to reach people to make the case for various things like critiquing and drawing attention to um, the Pentagon's bloated budget, for instance, is a step in the direction of actually stopping or curtailing uh, or preventing more wars. And wars are fought against people in countries often who are black and brown uh, against those civil uh, those civilian populations. And so I find that the anti-racist argument against appearing on networks to be honestly kind of uh, a, th- a thin one. So okay, I obviously agree with you that. You know, there, there's, a, there's a great uh, Canadian philosopher, Charles Seller, who's written about multicultural democracy. One of the points that I've learned from his work uh, is that people who have racial prejudice or sexist views, uh, that has to be confronted. But they also have other views on other things. And sometimes uh, trying to get a agreement on those other views doesn't mean that you condone the racism right. or the sexism, but it may help break down some of that racism and sexism than if you were to just uh, completely shun them or ignore them. These are difficult questions, but uh, the, the point I, I think is as we try to build this multiracial, multicultural democracy, how do we uh, get to 40, 45 uh, percent? Because if we just write them that segment completely off, I don't think we're going to get to the goals that, that many of your listeners want. Yeah. I mean, how does boycotting them? What does that do? It doesn't like achieve anything except further polarization. And and you're preventing people from from hearing important messages. I just don't. It seems that's so like putting your head in the sand to me, boycotting. Or to put put another way, you know, uh, what you were talking about in the the way that the tech companies are responsible for uh, keeping people in bubbles by, oh, constantly reaffirming their opinions by giving them content we know that they're going to agree with or that they know that they're going to agree with. it doesn't doesn't going on those channels help break up that pattern in a, in a way, right? Like if if you're you're helping to diversify the landscape a little bit every time you you appear on one of those networks, because uh, otherwise if you if you boycott them, then everybody's uh, by nature separate. I think so, and and it helps you understand what the opposition to your arguments are and how you can frame things, and maybe even helps you think of something from a different angle. I mean, I think that this idea that we have a monopoly on truth, a certitude about truth, I think is part of the, uh, the the challenge in a democracy. I mean, you have to, yes, you have to have your convictions, and I'm not saying compromise your convictions, but there has to be an understanding that you're in a democracy where you have to respect participation, opinion, criticism, uh, and to me, that's that's the basic basic thing. Now, obviously, there's probably an absurd level where you wouldn't you wouldn't go on every single single show. And uh, I, I'm sure there's a, a line there. But my instinct and inclination is to be broader in, in, in inclusivity than than to shut shut forums. Yeah. And um, what do you want to call out, Joe Biden? Call in. Let's give you the opportunity to call in Joe Biden. What is the most disappointing thing that he's done or not done? And what is the thing that you want to urge him to do? Well, the student loan forgiveness. I mean, I think that's something that he could do right away. Uh, he has the ability to do it up to uh, 50,000 is what uh, Warren and Schumer call it, but even 10,000 would be good. I mean, let's just get some student loan uh, relief. And, and, and that was part of uh, the plat- platform. Uh, 
I, on a positive side, I think the, the bill, which has uh, $300 of child allowance for uh, every, uh, every uh, American with ki kids, working, working class and middle class families, uh, that uh, Columbia did a study that would cut child poverty by 50%. And, you know, Matt Brewing has been pushing this idea. It's, a, it's, a, it's such a transformative idea. And if we can get that through, it would really make a difference. And the $2,000 that were promised? I wanted two thousand dollars. That's that's what I would I would do. But my my bigger concern is if if it's going to be fourteen hundred dollars, that's not means tested and exclude yes. uh, the middle class. And so uh, fine, uh, you know, progressives want two thousand dollars. If it is fourteen hundred dollars, I think the bigger fight is don't write off the entire middle yeah. class and, and 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 many in the working class. Excellent. Congressman, thank you so much yeah, for coming on. We so know you're much. busy. Uh, really, thank you for taking time out of your, yes. out of your schedule. Come no, back I enjoy it. Thanks for having yeah, me on. I look forward to being back. All right. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Thanks so much. Absolutely. All right. Thank Take you. Thank you. That was kind of a shit-stirring segment uh, by you, right? You're, you were just, just trying What do you mean? Just now? Yeah, you were trying to pick a... Yeah, but why not? Why isn't that... You know what? I'm like, I hold back. He, If there's anyone who can do it, it's Rokana. He doesn't That's get true. flustered by that stuff. He That's is true. diplomatic without being sycophantic. Yeah. And uh, Congressman, see, do you, do you, you have blurb. a bag of shit that you'd like to throw at, at the president right now on the air? <laughs> yeah. Look, I just gave him a great. No, that was good. That was that was that was great video. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I think that you are too polite. Don't you want to ask questions like that? But your politeness, your Catholicism, gets in the way. Definitely. All right. Thank you for listening to Useful Idiots. Yes. Uh, rate and review us. Uh, don't Subscribe. listen to anybody who we nope. might reasonably be described as a competitor to this show. Yeah. And in fact, um, when we talked about John Favreau, very important to mention, he's not John not Favreau from John Favreau. Save America. Like the show, subscribe on YouTube, like and subscribe. And to do that, you just hit subscribe and then the bell. And then on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you subscribe. Write us a review. Give us some stars. Nothing or pointers. Negative. Yep. Uh, okay. Thanks very much. And we'll see you next week. And thank you to Shearmag for the theme song and to our producer, Daniel Halpern. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.